Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And before we get into today's episode, I want to acknowledge this transition that we are all feeling. This week, we are moving towards the equinox. So for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, we are moving into the season of spring. And for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, you are going into fall. And so this new season for all of us brings with it new energy, and I'm sure you're feeling the shifts and the stirrings. We were just talking about this in the Seeker Circle um, last week. So I just wanted to start out by saying, remember to take note of what's coming up for you in this transition, and remember to have compassion for yourself and others in the process. So speaking of all of us moving into this new energy, I have to ask, are you also ready to learn something new? You know, when we move into this new energy, especially spring, we do all have this energy of curiosity and ready to take on new things. We're close to the Aries energy, right? So Raven Keys, who was our guest last week, She is coming to teach and certify Reiki masters in her medical Reiki course this October in San Diego. So I'm really excited about that and information will be going out in my newsletter today. So if you want to join me in that training, you can sign up for my newsletter at theenergeticalchemist.com. Again, information will be going out today or you can email me. Now, space is limited for this class, and some people have already registered. So if you are ready to take your Reiki education to the next level, I do look forward to meeting you all in October. And that's the part I guess I'm (laughs) most excited about, just the potential of meeting some of the listeners of Reiki Radio and us all learning in this space together. So, you know, if you listen to that episode, you know just the idea and watching the way Reiki has evolved and how it is being um, recognized in new ways is phenomenal. So if you want to come, again, you can email me for details or sign up for my newsletter. And this training is for Reiki masters only. And you can learn more about medical Reiki by listening to the interview with Raven, which aired last Monday. That's available in the archives. So today, we are going to continue to explore how Reiki is being used in so many beautiful ways, including throughout pregnancy. So on this episode, you will meet Michaela Daystar. She is a Reiki master from Sacramento, California. And Michaela and I met in Shimpenden training, which was facilitated by Franz Steiner. Uh, we had a beautiful opportunity to partner with each other during that class. So we had a connection and I'm glad we stayed in touch. And on this episode, we had a beautiful conversation about how healing her own relationship with feminine consciousness changed her life. We also talk about her focus on supporting families with Reiki during the processes of pregnancy, which I'm sure you will find very interesting, and also how she uses art to help people awaken and trust their own intuitive nature. 
So I think this uh, episode will be inspiring. It will inspire you to expand into your practice your way. It's always fun to hear how people are using this work while also working on themselves. So that is it for now. Get comfortable and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Reiki Radio. Today we have a beautiful guest. Her name is Michaela Daystar and Michaela and I met in Shippenden class with Franz as our teacher. So I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you for coming on the show, Michaela. Yeah, thank you so much, Yolanda. It's such a joy to be able to continue that relationship that we started on that magical weekend in this way. It was a magical weekend and I'm actually going to ask you about that a little later. But um, one of the things that I think is so beautiful about your story and your background is I think it will highlight for people how we get to make our practices our own. Mm -hmm. And so just so people know, you do have a background in social justice leadership, but you're also now a Reiki teacher, you facilitate soul collage classes, and there's a a beautiful like uh, layers to the work that you do. So one of the first things I want to ask, of course, because of the show, is what led you into Reiki? Hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, as you say, my background in social justice leadership is something that, you know, really frames a lot of what I do. And and my pathway to the work that I do now um, really started as seeking intersections between that 11 years of working with college students and community partners on fostering leadership in social justice realms. And what had always been true for me, which was that I was drawn to, I guess, what you might call kind of the realm of arts and consciousness. And those felt like two separate worlds to me. Um, This like activist, uh, higher education space, and this arts and consciousness and energy work and spirituality space. And I didn't know of a space where those things came together even though intellectually I knew they must, right? And so um, there was a point in my life where that almost came to like a crisis of identity where those two parts of myself weren't intersecting. And that crisis also coincided with other, um, you know, things going on in my personal life. And it was just one of those periods of our lives where everything is just like hard and wrong and out of place. And everything was asking for a transition. And Reiki came into my life at that time, actually Soul Collage as well, um, in the same year. And both of them came in really random ways. They just, like I, with Reiki, I just heard someone saying, I'm preparing for my Reiki class. And I didn't even really know what that was. But it was like that, that tug. It just said, whatever that is, I'm going in that direction right now. And you know, we don't always choose to follow those intuitive tugs, right? right? Sometimes the mind gets in the way or the fear gets in the way and <clears throat> for whatever reason, we might turn away from it. But for whatever reason, at that point, I turned towards it and it might have been just because I was in such a bad place. You know, sometimes we get in those places where we're like, this is just so bad that whatever it is, I'm moving towards it. Um so both of those modalities came into my life at that time as a way for me to do my own internal work, to reflect on what was happening in my life and to choose to change that direction. 
And so I worked with them both over a period of time for my personal healing. And then in that process realized that um, sharing those things with other people just increasingly became important. You know, it's so interesting what you say that stands out to me is you had this identity crisis and so many of us on these paths we do, we hit this wall and it's like this question of like, who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose? But what's interesting about your story is like, there was like this dual um, identity where you had actually two things that you actually enjoyed, but how did you just bridge that gap, which is very unique. And I know that in your work, um, you help people work with their identity and their purpose. So with energy work and um, the other elements that you connected to, like the soul collage and such, did doing that work for yourself help to clarify for that for you? What, how did that fit into your experience of identity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was very much at first, um, you know, a, a self practice. It was medicine for me to work through what I was doing. And, you know, and that was incremental, right? It was like, I had to work on this piece and then this piece. And eventually that work led me to choose to go back to grad school. And again, I was like, okay, do I do a program that's in social justice leadership or I do an arts and consciousness program? And I chose to go to a program that was focused on, you know, the work that I've been doing for 10 years. And, you know, because there's this wonderful trickster energy in the world, you know, I ended up in a program that, yes, it was a leadership for social justice program, literally at St. Mary's College, fantastic program if anybody is looking for such a thing. But it was a program that approached leadership from inside out. And it really required us as students to go internal and to do internal work. And I'm like, okay, well, apparently I'm in the right place because this is what I'm up to anyway. And because it had that focus and the, the world that I had been in previous to that, the college I've been working in, social justice leadership was incredibly externally focused. It was right. very much about the action that you take in the world. Of course, totally understandable. But the missing piece was what do we do with everything that is coursing through our own system as we're doing that work? What do we do with the trauma that happened to us in our life that inspired us to do this work? So many of my students were doing social justice activist work because they were working through their own experiences. But at least in the space where we were conducting our work, there wasn't an opportunity for them to, to kind of do that internal work. So all of a sudden I find myself in a place where that's really what it's about. It's like, let's do this and then let's turn it out into the world. And I remember sitting in one of my first classes and speaking to this dilemma to my cohort, you know, I'm so committed to supporting people and doing their social justice leadership. And at the same time, I have this whole other part of myself that wants to just work with people on their internal landscape and like do all this internal work. And I, you know, I'm just, it's killing me that they're like separate. And my class just looked at me like I was speaking nonsense. And they were like, why do you think those are two separate things? Mm -hmm. They said, we need you to come do that work with us, right? Like these were all people who are very much on the front lines, very much doing the work out in the world. And they're like, we need the support. We need somebody to come do soul collage with us so we can understand our motivation and our challenges and our blocks to doing this work. We need somebody to provide healing sessions for us so that we can let down the stress. We need somebody who understands trauma and who understands the way in which, you know, our multiple identities like come to play in this work. And importantly, we need somebody doing spiritual, you know, creative sorts of practices that have a social justice lens. 
because right. there's so many people practicing inside of this world of spirituality and doing really beautiful, amazing work who don't necessarily understand things like systemic oppression or intersectional identities and, and kind of have a way of, of bringing those sorts of things subconsciously into the work. And so there was, I saw that there was or someone who could actually hold both of those spaces in the same, in the same practice. And um, so, yeah, it's been my work ever since then to figure out exactly what that looks like. Well, you know, it's really exciting to hear that that is your point of focus. Um, two things with it. One, because again, I think it highlights and will let people see that there are so many ways that this work can be infused in life um, and how important it is really. But I have a lot of friends who are also um, advocates and activists. And I think a lot of people don't recognize the people who are in those roles as well as people outside of those roles, how much weight really comes with that work and how much emotion and how much, you know, and I think because there's this idea that people are having this outward expression of, you know, advocating for others and all of these things, that there really isn't a consideration for what their internal world really is and the sadness that may come with that and the triggers and all of these. So it's amazing that you are bringing this up. Um, it reminds me of a woman I spoke with like a week or so ago and talking about the, you know, first responders and all of the trauma and the triggers and everything that they have to suppress for the work that they do. So it's beautiful that you do this. So it, it actually um, makes me want to ask you about too. There's this other organization that you work with Shakti Rising and if you could tell everyone a little bit about that program and the work that you do through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Shakti Rising is a nonprofit that supports women and girls in their leadership through the intersections of mind, body, spirit, um, emotion. And so we work through three different program areas. One is um, leadership specific. And there's a, uh, our leadership hub is here in Sacramento where I live. And that um, takes a lot of different forms, but the main one is a residential immersion where women identified people live together and move through an individualized leadership development program that really is focused on, again, the internal leader, like how do we resource ourselves from whatever seat we're in, whether or not we hold a leadership position that's you know technically leadership. Mm -hmm. um, how do we align ourselves with the season, with the, the cycles that the world is in so we can maximize, you know, our intuition and our different ways of knowing, um, you know, leading from the heart rather than just from the head. Uh, so a lot of embodiment practices, a lot of learning from nature, you know, what is the structure and organization of nature have to teach us about the structure and organizations of human societies. Um, there's a real systems thinking lens um, to that. That's a leadership development. And then the program that I work with directly is called um, Shakti Feminine University, and it's our community education program. And so that's where we teach a wide variety of classes, again, and with similar themes, you know, how to really come home to ourselves so that we can um, do that internal work so that we can turn it outward into the world. So again, we're working with a lot of people who are doing um, front lines work, who are doing activist work, work in the government, um, work in nonprofits and who are really looking to, to strengthen their kind of internal resourcing 
and um, their ability to uh, lead from their own heart and, and you know, do that in a, in a way that feels generative for them. And then the third program area is called Transformational Recovery, and that's um, actually where our organization started about 20 years ago. And that is, um, again, a residential program for women working through recovery from lots of intersectional issues, um, traumas, addictions, um, abuse. And again, doing that in a way that really addresses the whole person, that addresses that process holistically, and that does it in community rather than this um, model of recovery that looks at recovery as an individual process. So you work individually with a therapist, you're doing your own work, maybe you do a little bit of group work, but you're, you're basically in your own process, and instead kind of leans into the truth that, you know, humans really, we understand our, ourselves to be human in community, and we, we heal in community as well. It's uh, really inspiring to hear that. I mean, just with you sharing it, I think it highlights as well how this work and holistic approaches are starting to really permeate our culture, and it's becoming more of a normalized aspect. Like, of course, you would look at mind-body energy or mind-body spirit and not just so one-dimensional the way we have in the past. So it's exciting that this um, type of work is starting to show up even in more traditional approaches where, you know, amendments are being made and change is happening, you know, that it's, it's very exciting. But what you said, it's easier to do the work when the language is a little bit more broadly understood. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, you saying that too, I feel like someone just asked me yesterday and I can't remember who the conversation was with, but it was a conversation around, you know, people that work in like, um, mental health or that may be therapist in these types of things, really wanting to have more understanding of, you know, the energy um, side of things and that mind-body energy connection. I even had clients in the past who were therapists that in some ways felt their hands were tied because they couldn't, they could only do so much to not risk their licensing, right? So hopefully as people do these, this type of work and in programs that you are working for like nonprofit, where it can be done and maybe the results then will show that it's necessary in um, arenas where it's still not allowed. Absolutely. And there's been so much amazing research just in the last five years around understanding trauma, understanding the brain, heart, gut connection, you know, Mm -hmm. understanding things that really, you know, point our attention back to ancient, spiritual practices where, you know, we knew these things because of our experience. And now we know them because we can study them and we can measure them scientifically. Well, that's great. Both ways of knowing are awesome. Let's know it in all the different ways. And that's really the key, right? Like not discrediting the experience as well as what we can prove. So that's great. And um, there's something that struck me in your bio and you talked about how healing and working with feminine consciousness also helped you with um, healing toxicity in your own life and being and helped you to create more of a full flourishing life. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the divine feminine and some people still hear that and only associate it with like cisgendered women, but we all are comprised of both the feminine and the masculine, of course. So I wanted to know if you could speak a little bit about that, like this feminine consciousness and what that means to you and how healing your own has been impactful? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really like big question and we could go in a lot of different directions with it. And yeah, I think that, but to kind of narrow it more to to your question about 
my own process. Um, it really has been about fine tuning my understanding about the energy from which I am operating. So as you say, you know, we have these terms feminine and masculine, which is very binary language. It, you know, sets up this, there's one and the other, and then maybe there's a little bit of, you know, gray area in there, but, but it is a very binary language. So in that case, I want to just say it's inherently limiting right. um, to use, use those terms. And they're terms that have, you know, thousands of years of history in terms of how we understand what they mean. So they're useful in that sense. Um, and I'm really grateful that, you know, I'm doing this work and we're doing this work at a time where, you know, just as we have so much more understanding about trauma and mind-body connection, we also have so much more understanding about what gender is and how we experience that. Um, and so we, yeah, we all have these ways of being, these ways of expressing ourselves and understanding and ways of knowing um, that are inherent to us. And it's kind of like, where do we put our attention and where do we put our value? So for me, I had, um, because of just a long history of, um, well, codependence, quite frankly, like giving over my, um, myself to other people in a way of, you know, trying to keep things even and safe and secure. I'd really had to shut down uh, my intuition in a large way. So one of the things that I came to realize in that kind of crisis period that I referenced before was that I just had shut, shut that part of myself down. And I was in a time of life where I really actually needed it quite a bit. I needed to be able to um, follow my gut, you know, quite mm -hmm. frankly, because I was operating in a time of my life where I just didn't have a lot of actual information. I didn't have a lot of knowledge about um, what the right thing to do was. And there was a lot of ways in which I, um, you know, the things that I thought were the right things to do were, were, were really not from a, you know, broader perspective of my life. And so um, when I began to kind of be curious about what it means to, to kind of work with my own feminine energy, that's really where it, it centered for me was bringing my intuition back online. And what that meant, and I didn't even realize this at the time, but what I know now is that that really involves getting connected with my gut, with my, my stomach, you know, the part of our body where we feel our intuition largely. Mm -hmm. um, and it, we feel it in a lot of different ways, but, um, you know, that's certainly one of them. And of course, just even the language of intuition, follow your gut, you know. I had a feeling. Yeah. And so, you know, working with the way in which my Reiki practice evolved to what you and I now um, study through International House of Reiki really supported that um, hugely because of the emphasis on that part of the body, the hara, the yes. belly. Um, and so, so that's the lens that I brought into Shakti, for example, where, you know, the languaging very much is about the feminine and bringing that into balance. And what does it mean to be, you know, in harmony between the two and, you know, a lot of exploration about what toxic masculinity looks like and what toxic femininity looks like and um, how we bring both of those to bear. And then, you know, what does it mean to bring those to bear in different kinds of bodies, you know, because not everybody whose body reads like a woman's body um, would, would, you know, identify as not a woman. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really fascinating exploration of that, um, of really, um, reclaiming a part of my true self that I had foregone in terms of the intuition and a lot of other things that are associated with intuition, bringing those back online and, um, and then doing that in a way that um, necessitated me to come into community because that was another aspect of 
this period of my life was that I had really self-isolated quite a bit. Um, so for me, reclaiming my intuition, reclaiming community, being willing to show up as my full self in community and, to tr and, and using that intuition to find a community where I could um, do that and trust myself to be safe mm -hmm. um, is what that meant to me for my process. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. And I like that you're highlight, highlighting the uh, intuitive aspect because, again, I think people can understand if they have a hard time with saying they have like feminine consciousness or feminine energy, maybe they can be uh, relate that to like, oh, it's not about the body I'm in, right? Um, really with that focus on our intuitive nature. And it is our nature and it is just a thing of, again, like healing those aspects of us that shut it down like mm -hmm. your experience was. So this makes me think of another layer of your work. And again, I love that it's multifaceted because it, it really shows that we don't have to limit ourselves or just, you know, uh, copy what we've seen being done, right? Um, so you have this layer of soul collage, which I think is really cool. And I saw it on your site and was reading about it, never heard of it. So can you share with people what that is and how it does help with healing and the intuition and all of these things? Yeah, absolutely. So um, soul collage is a practice that was developed about 30 years ago, maybe, um, by a woman named Sina Frost. And it comes out of Jungian psychology, which looks uh, works a lot with the subconscious and works a lot with tools that bring the parts of us that are not generally, that are just not generally in our consciousness, so the unconscious, the subconscious, um, finding tools to bring that into our conscious awareness. So this particular practice uses um, intuition, imagination, and images to basically make visible uh, the many different parts of ourselves. So with the kind of framework that we're all made up of lots of different parts, you know, there's, you know, inner child parts, and there's the parts of our identity, like my identity as a mother, and my identity as a daughter, and a, as a you know, Reiki practitioner, all of these different parts, and then experiences that we've had and traumas that we have and things like our imposter syndrome and our, and our self-doubt and our voice of criticism, you know, parts of ourselves that are, you know, running a narrative for us all the time, helping us understand the world all the time, parts of ourselves that developed as, you know, ways of navigating the world, basically. So, it's the process of making those parts visible, literally in cards, and I could grab one and show you if that's useful. Um, that then basically gets them kind of out of the subconscious in front of us, and we, then we can actually dialogue with them. And so there's kind of a ritual process for um, getting in touch with whatever part of ourself wants to be made visible and given a voice at this time, making the card, and then letting the card speak to us and introduce itself to us and let it know what it means us to know in a given time. And then once you have those cards, then you can use them, you know, essentially as a personal oracle deck, except that instead of consulting an outside oracle, you know, cards that have a meaning that have been ascribed to them by someone else, um, it's an internal oracle. It's basically the oracle of you. Now you can ask a question like, God, why am I just so pissed off at my partner right now? Mm -hmm. or what is it that I'm really afraid of as I think about making this job transition or, um, you know, help me understand my feelings about this or what can you tell me about this situation? And then letting the answers come from those parts of ourselves that, that we now have access to. So it's, it's a really powerful and fun and playful uh, practice that also 
pretty efficiently gets us very deeply connected with these parts of ourselves that are talking to us all the time and are governing our behavior all the time. And it's a way of bringing much more in consciousness and intention to how we respond to the world from those various parts of ourselves. Well, I like that it seems to be uh, actively engaging our intuitive mind in a way that um, will be more comfortable for some people because in some practices, you know, it's about, you know, going to meditation and all of these things. And a lot of people will already have these um, ideas that they can't do that. But something like this that is more artistic, it's a a beautiful way of engaging that um, intuitive self and understanding ourselves in different ways. Yeah, it's re- I actually want to do that with you one day. So I guess I have to come to Sacramento. Wow. Um, uh, and that's another thing too, um, before we get, because I want to ask you about your uh, chosen focus or what highlights for you in your work with Reiki. But before we get to that, can people work with you remotely or do we have to be in Sacramento to work with you? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a variety of ways to work remotely, and I apologize, I'm, they're doing some work in the hallway here, so you might hear some construction sounds there. Um, yeah, people can work remotely in a variety of ways, so Reiki sessions can be done remotely. I do coaching uh, with people, and that's almost always done over the telephone. Um, I'm, I've, can, I've played with, we can, we can do soul collage remotely, it's, you know, it helps if a person has some, you know, if we have some kind of FaceTime to begin with, but... Um, yeah, most of these practices can be done either face-to-face or remotely. Okay, and we'll be sure to say your site after. But I do want to ask you about as well um, your focus with Reiki, which I also think is such a beautiful thing and how we can um, really go with what our heart is called to, right? Mm-hmm. And we spoke about your connection with wanting to work with women throughout pregnancy and doing energy work in that way. So I wanted to ask, what even gave you that idea? What, what made you want to work with women that were um, pregnant? Yeah, so that, it kind of evolved over time and it started with um, just opening a curiosity about where I might want to specialize with Reiki. And in thinking back on my experience, um, just as a, as a human, realizing that the time when I felt the most um, at the same time in, in my power, like fully strong and capable, like beyond what I even knew possible, and also subject to other um, forces around me and just people making decisions that I couldn't, you know, interface with was when I was pregnant and giving birth. And so to be able to support people, families, you know, everybody involved with the birth, really from the birthing parent, their partners, their family, other children. Um, to be in their most powerful, resourced, calm, you know, stable um, self felt like a way to really um, just kind of give back that feeling of power that I experienced myself through this practice that I have. And then as I continued to um, you know, work with this question of where's the intersection between social justice and, these, uh, and this other work, um, and learning more about the origins of Reiki, I came to understand a definition of Reiki that really kind of clicked with the maternity work. And that is understanding that with, within a Reiki session, where what we're really up to is creating a container within which 
the person's system and our own system, everybody involved in the, in the processes system, their mind, body, spirit, and heart, essentially, can come into its, its full practice of healing. So our system is constantly seeking healing. It's constantly seeking balance. Our immune system is constantly working to bring us back into balance. And our heart is constantly seeking that place of balance. It's just how we're built. It's how we survive. It's how we're connected to the earth. Um, and at the same time, we're in a constant state of that natural inherent seeking of wholeness uh, being compromised and being you know, buffeted by so many different um, obstacles in physical, mental, emotional, spiritual spaces. And so on the one hand, we're built to find balance and we call that balance healing, right? So we're, we're healthy when we're in balance really. And at the same time, we're constantly having that being eroded in various ways. And so Reiki creates a container wherein those, those things that are buffeting us are held at bay and the space is flooded with resources from you know, resources that we always really are connected with and that we always have inside of ourselves. We can call it energy. And where the system can just really do what it's meant to do, you know, be in that state of balancing itself out and be in that space of, of seeking its true form. So we can call that our true self. So, you know, that's what I experience when I'm in a Reiki session. That's what, you know, other people experience that they report back to me. And so I got to thinking, you know, so many of the, the challenges that we're working against when we're doing social justice work is caused by humans who are moving through the world in a state of extreme imbalance mm -hmm. in one way or the other that are causing behaviors that are harming themselves and others, harming the planet, you know, harming everything. And so, you know, that sparked a question, what, what happens if humans are raised in a way where they have minimal exposure to imbalance? You know, what if from the very moment that they were conceived and grown, incubated in this, you know, dark, fertile womb space, they were provided an opportunity to be in a container for them to be fully in a state of balance, and then for that to continue throughout their life, and for their family to be in that same container along with them, and for the people in their community to be in that same container with them. Because as we know, from our experiences and our study with Reiki is that it's not just about my practice. It starts here. We, you know, again, we have to start with the internal container. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Self-practice is the heart of Reiki. You can't just do for others. We, we, it has to come from an overflow from ourselves. And then that overflow ripples out to everybody that we come into contact with. So what better way to impact the, you know, stealth and balance and wholeness and healing of the world than to start with growing humans who don't know anything else. You know, that is the way in which they came into the world was, was maximized in that space. And I did a training called Sacred Childbirth with Reiki. And when I was in conversation with the facilitator of that um, named Corey Nielsen, she said something like, you know, I've been doing this work for 20 years. And so, you know, those first kids who, you know, whose parents I first worked with are now adults and like, they're the most amazing humans. And it just clicked. I'm like, yes, I want to grow those amazing humans. That's, that's what I want. That's at least part of what I meant to contribute. So I'm beautiful in the question of what that, how that will evolve. No, that's a really beautiful. And I, I've had two opportunities to work with women who were um, throughout their pregnancy. And one of them, 
um, you know, it was a really interesting thing on the practitioner side to be able to connect with and um, even communicate sometimes with the child. But the space that it gave the mom to go even deeper into connection because she was in that, you know, that relaxed state while her energy was being balanced, where a lot of moms have naturally fears and worries about their baby while, you know, before they come into the world. And in that space, she was able to let go and just like connect on a deeper level with her child, right? Which is also what an amazing um, space for healing and connection between you and the baby. But another uh, woman, she came when before getting pregnant and th that was the plan, but preparing her body, like, you know, balancing herself before even becoming pregnant and then uh, had Reiki throughout. And for her, it was a much easier pregnancy than her first child. So it will be interesting to see. I am very interested to see like how their babies um, grow up in this because one of them is actually a Reiki uh, teacher as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm always curious to see with these younger generations having uh, more parents doing this work and raising their children to understand the importance of their self-connection. I, I can't wait to see what comes of this. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you pointed out the, 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 the having the parents who are practitioners piece, because that's so important. And part of what um, I offer in terms of the, the childbirth, you know, Reiki, sacred childbirth with Reiki practice is, um, is, is teaching people how to, to self, you know, self-administer Reiki, because it's, awesome to come, you know, and have sessions, but, you know, really the sweet spot is to just have it available and to be in that practice at all times. Yeah. Um, and then to use the session space to, to specifically work through, you know, what the fears that a person is holding, the, right. the hormones that are running that are, you know, anxious and that, you know, of course, go into the womb and, and connect with the baby. It's also an incredibly supportive space to work um, with women who have lost pregnancies mm -hmm. or people who are trying to get pregnant going through IVF. I mean, the amount of stress and mm -hmm. fear and shame and guilt and self-blame and um, just all manner of, you know, stress-related um, experiences that happen when a family is trying to get pregnant and, and struggling um, is greatly impacted by working with Reiki and, um, you know, I believe can um, lead to better outcomes in that process. Well, I love that you also mentioned, you know, holding the space, not just for the mom, but everyone involved, the family. And I think a lot of, of course, naturally, a lot of emphasis and attention is put on the mom, but it can be very stressful for the family and like, you know, kids trying to deal with what does it mean? I'm going to have a sibling and now have to share and all of these things, right? And then the partner, what they may be going through as well. So I, I love that you um, include that into the picture of this um, healing process and this um, awareness of the whole process that it goes beyond just the mom and uh, the element of learning Reiki and how our uh, managing ourselves in between is so important. And, and for the partners as well, I mean, one thing that I experienced and I've heard from a lot of people is that the, you know, the birthing parent has some very clear roles, right? And, and again, a lot of emphasis is on the, the birthing baby. You know, the, the emphasis is often on the baby, not even necessarily 
the, the mom, right? right. Um, and then that the, the partner, you know, doesn't necessarily have as clear of a role. And that can be really isolating and alienating and, and stressful for that partner. And so working with Reiki gives them, first of all, a clear self-practice to, again, prepare their own self for, mm-hmm. for this experience, uh, a practice that enhances connection, that gives them an actual tangible experience of connecting with the child. Like it, it's, it's, one of the ways that a non-pregnant person can actually have, you know, something like that connection with an unborn child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gives them something to do during the birth, you know, something very right. tangible that doesn't necessarily re- require them to be, to physically touch or to physically be in the space, um, but to be a tangible support um, regardless of, you know, where they physically have to be during that process. This is such a beautiful conversation and I'm excited because I think it is going to have a lot of light bulbs going off for people. And um, again, like having consideration of like the different areas that we tend to overlook in our process of just life experience and what does impact us and being more aware of how we can manage that and make all of these experiences a bit more balanced for ourselves. So, you know, um, I'm so thankful that you came to share that. And uh, again, we are going to put in the show notes ways that people can connect with you and work with you and learn more about you, of course. But I have to ask you, since we met in um, (laughs) Schimpenden class together, you know, there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast who uh, have done uh, level one and two or Shodan and Okiden and thinking about the next level. And then there's some people who have never done Reiki at all and just curious about what is this thing that everyone's talking about. Um, but more specifically to our class, I have to ask you what stood out for you in that class? And was there anything noticeable about for you right away that you felt like something shifted? I feel different. What came up for you? Yeah. I'd love to hear your answer to this question too, maybe mm-hmm. offline, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different um, lenses to look at that through. There's the lens of simply deepening our practice, whatever that practice is. So in our case, deepening our practice of Reiki into, you know, Shimpiden means the mystery teachings. So taking our practice a layer deeper than it has been before. And so just simply kind of steeping in that intention and coming together as a community to, to be in that intention together has its impacts. Right. Then there's the impacts from doing that with the particular teacher we have who has such a deep immersion in this process and you know such a passion for it and so much knowledge about the Japanese origins of Reiki. And so that piece has become very important to me. That's not something that's going to be important to everybody in my practice, in my life, and the way that I show up with it. Um, that has become incredibly important. So I've deeply appreciated the just level of depth of knowledge and information and experience that Franz, you know, was able to bring to us um, in a way that's a little intimidating when I think about going back <laughs> to Shimpiden again, you know, it's like, wow, that's a lot of background. I got to like absorb. Um, so all of that kind of together um, for me uh, created a very tight container. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, very, very solid material and information 
a group of people who showed up with their full self and their full willingness and you know were willing to really be present throughout the time. I had a teacher who you know was willing to do the same and to you know bring that 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 tightness and then the fact that it was so experientially based. Yes. We were really in the practice the majority of the time and it was this beautiful you know flow of of kind of learning and getting information and then putting it into practice. And so all of that made for, you know, just a really tight energetic container. And so what I know of myself is that what often happens when I get into a space like that, and not all learning spaces are like that. I've been in plenty of learning spaces where the material might have been very magical and very, you know, potent, but the way in which the material was held in the container was not and was leaky. And, you know, so there's just a level of depth that can't be achieved when that's true. So what happens for me in a container like what we experienced is that like the parts of myself that are still like unhealed and still out of balance and still waiting to have their chance to be, you know, worked, say, whoa, this is a place I can totally like come out and like we can shed some layers here. Mm-hmm. And so, which is awesome. Like when I start feeling that happen, like I feel all my like yucky stories coming up, quite honestly, when I'm in a space like that. Yeah. And I've learned to interpret that as a very good thing. Because I know that, okay, this is a place I can do some work. This is a place I can really come out of it much lighter than I came into it. Mm-hmm. The downside of that is that I end up like just in like all my yucky stuff the whole time. I don't know if you noticed. I was yeah. totally in my yucky stuff the whole no, time. I didn't notice, but. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hard time. And I was having a hard time in a really beautiful way, in a way that I really knew was, um, was an opportunity. And so you know, on the other side of that is, you know, working through the integration and we're just kind of at a month out. And so it's like, like in this, you know, beautiful integration time. Um, I've just, yeah, I've, I felt myself to be, you know, working through those layers that asked, asked to be healed. Um, and then on the other side of that, you know, quite a bit of lightness and it feels really just beautifully timed that that one month integration is ending right as spring starts. Yes. Wednesday is the first day of spring and I feel like, okay, (laughs) all of that, you know, winter's hibernation, you know, going deep into our own beautiful darkness, you know, occurred. And now we get to really blossom and open up. I have to tell you this, um, you, your presence really made an impression for me in the class. And one thing, like, no, it wasn't obvious that you were in any ickiness, but it was obvious that you were really taking everything in and you seemed very um, introspective throughout the process. But one of the beautiful things, too, is that you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and to share. And it was just like this beautiful openness with you. And um, I I wanted to point that out because I know a lot of times we, you know, some of us struggle with you know, sharing or being seen in classes and not knowing how much your vulnerability supports other people that are in that space. And so, you know, I would just encourage people to know, like, especially in those spaces and the ones that feel safe and Reiki classes tend to, you know, feel like, you know, beautiful spaces and everyone is there for some level of healing, right? So just highlighting that your participation and your vulnerability also supports the group and um you did a really beautiful job with that but i'm glad that you also highlighted the integration period mm-hmm. because there's also this conception that people think going to do any type of spiritual work you're supposed to just feel like you know 
rainbows are coming out of you know all of your orifices right and but there is this yeah, healing that comes right like you know energy's moving stuff is coming up and we do have to allow ourselves to process and integrate all of that um so i have to say like just even with the work that you do and the background that you have and having such a deep understanding of um, how we heal on multiple layers, do you just allow that openness of it's going to take however long it takes? And do you have recommendations for people who may be in that healing crisis? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think there's, there's a both and to that. Okay. Uh, we absolutely need to allow what is inside of us to come out and be expressed like that that is part of what healing is right again that's part of the coming into balance is to you know really let up what we've been holding and because it was because we didn't have a way to process it and so that can look really ugly sometimes that can feel really bad you know it can look like a lot of different ways yes um and we need to be able to allow for that and we need to be able to create healing spaces that again are a tight enough container that they can hold it Right. And what I mean by that is that that a person can can let those things come up, can be vulnerable, can say what they need to say. In a way that doesn't make it all about telling the story of the pain. Right. There, there are spaces where telling the story is absolutely appropriate, but there's often times and the, the work that I do is of it and so that it can move through and out of the body. And so if a person is coming to me in, say, a Shakti class or in a Reiki session where we're explicitly working in this kind of angle, um, then part of my job is to really allow for those things to come up and then to help be a guide for how to move them out and through so that it doesn't just spiral into feeling all of the bad feelings and, and losing control, getting outside of our, of our window of tolerance for those feelings. Um, but to push that window enough so that we can can work some of it through and to learn to be a little bit more resilient and spacious inside of that. And so there's a lot of different ways to do that. And, you know, in terms of the way that I work, a lot of that looks like um, embodiment practices, energy practices, breathing practices, visualization practices, um, just straight up anger practices, like screaming, <laughs> moving the body in whatever way the body wants to move. Um, so that you can get to the other side of that feeling. And then when we're on the other side of that feeling, so again, the integration, um, allowing for rest and allowing for self-reflection on what exactly just occurred. You know, what did I feel? Why? What is, you know, what thoughts, feelings, experiences came up around that? Capturing that in some way, right? And writing in movement and gesture and drawing in soul collage. Um, so that, um, so that that integration can happen and so that we can actually witness ourselves as different on the other side of it rather than simply experiencing ourselves as you know in whatever you know some sensation of brokenness we might be experiencing um so that's that's a, a little little way of answering the question well it's interesting you saying that just highlighted this um kind of like the stringing together of the layers of um the work that you do but also I want to point out because of what you said that although in Reiki, you do have an interest with working with women in pregnancy, you work, you're open to working with everyone, Absolutely. but it's interesting that, um, as you were saying that it made me think of how a lot of people who come into wanting to do healing work for others often neglect themselves and don't give themselves the same space and compassion that they, you know, 
lend to other people, but then that goes back to how we started this conversation. The activists and the people that are advocating for others oftentimes don't take that space to give that same love and compassion to themselves. And then the other component of your work, parents. Like you said, during pregnancy, a lot of focus is in on the baby and not what is going on with everyone else in preparation. So I think uh, in all facets of your work, there's that beautiful underlying and like the most important element of allowing space for yourself to heal so that you really can be of service to others in a more beautiful, harmonized way. Right. Look at what you're doing, Michaela, what you're doing out in this world. <laughs> Thank you, Yolanda, for reflecting that back to me. It means a lot. Yeah, no, and it, this has been a really beautiful discussion. And, and again, I love hearing the stories of how people are showing up and doing this work because with each of us having our own line of focus or passion or what we you know, want to give our attention to, it really shows how much this is just spreading all over the place. And it's not just contained to you know woo woo spiritual people i mean it's it's touching um what we would have separated out as like regular life right it's becoming yeah. part of understanding ourselves in totality yeah i mean i've done this work with uh government agencies with schools with um faith organizations you know with leaders of nonprofits you know, and, and it's just, it's universally needed and it's increasingly understood as being necessary. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to thank you again for coming. Um, as you know, it was a pleasure meeting you in class, being able to sit next to you in class. And um, I'm really thankful for the work that you share. It inspires me again to hear, you know, what people are doing and how can we get in contact with you? What are the best ways for people to learn more about your work? Um, so the you know simple way, of course, is to go to my website, which is heartscapesinsight.scapes. And there you'll find you know sections on the, the three main pieces of Heartscapes, which is Reiki, Soul Collision Coaching. And then um, to find out about Shakti, it's shaktirising.org. And, um, you know, of course, lots of information there. And, um, you know, folks can email me, can call, and we can post all of those contact information there. Beautiful. Okay, so uh, heartscapes, that's plural, scapes, insight.com. And of, again, I'll make sure we have all of the links to connect with you in the show description. And of so, course, Facebook and Instagram and all the socials. You know. Yeah, all the socials. Yes. <laughs> those two, anyway. Just, just those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your handle on Instagram? Heartscapes Insight. Okay, Heartscapes Insight. So easy to remember, just like the website. Well, thank you so much for being here, Michaela. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Okay, so first of all, I want to thank Michaela again for coming to share her story with us. And you can learn more about Michaela's work at heartscapesinsight.com. And the link for her site is in the show description. And then if you want to come learn medical Reiki in San Diego this October, be sure to email me or you can sign up for my newsletter and information will go out later today. So I look forward to meeting you and remember to always journey in love.